0: Get out your Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of James. I, uh, Robbie, thanks, man. I'm powerful. I, I, um, I love Robbie so much. He's so gifted in so many ways and a humble leader. And anytime that you're with us, man, it really ministers to us and to me. And I've listened to that song you just sung multiple times this week because you said you were going to bring it. And man, it just ministered to me all week. So thank you for bringing it to our community this morning. And today's a, a really a special day because um, we get to talk about something that is deeply uh, important to the, our church. And, and really what I want to do today is call you to action. And I know that many of you sponsor children, but I want to encourage you, all of us, all of our families, if you're single or if you're married, you have kids, to take a step of faith today and sponsor another child. Um, So that's really where we're going. Before we do, though, we have a couple of people I want to make sure know that we're thankful that they're here. Joseph did our introduction and also uh, read the scripture. Joseph and Lauren, our are in the Houston church planting network, uh, finishing residency this year. And so they have a heart to plant a church inside the loop. They are tethered to our church. And so we've been able to be a little bit of part of their story. I know you all just like me have a heart for church planting. And so, uh, thank you for being here and we want to continue to serve and send and we care about multiplication and, and raising up and sending out. So we want to be a part of your story. Um, Also, uh, a little bit of a surprise guest, we have a pastor all the way from Uganda. Uh, This is James Luwaga, and uh, would you please stand, and let's just thank this brother for coming all the way here. He is a friend of uh, uh, Vivek and Liz, and uh, now a friend of ours, and so we look forward to getting to know you and your work, and um, there's a lot in this morning that that compels us to think about things that are happening outside the walls of this room. Since we began this church four years ago, we've said from the beginning we want to be about something that's larger than just gathering people in a room to talk about God. We want to be a part of something that multiplies uh, the presence of God in the lives of our neighbors, our family members, and our community. We care about planting churches. We care about People on the other side of the world, people that we don't even know, and and so to be here with you this morning in this way is so exciting to me. And I just want for you to think for a moment um, about this week. <clears throat> now, I've never, as a preacher, thought it was my responsibility to bring the news, but I want you to think for a moment about something that you heard in the news this week that created some unrest in you, some stress. We can think of the events in Baltimore. Certainly, we want to think about what happened in India. My purpose is not to create stress in you, but I want to kind of maybe reawaken in you a sense that in our world, there is great need. In our world, there is great need. Now, when you look into our world maybe on the other side of the world or another city or just down the block, and you recognize that there is great need, you respond in some way. Some people have responded in this way this week, with hatred. What's happening in... A city stirs in you hatred for the police or for the thugs or for injustice. It stirs in you hatred and venom is spewing from your mouth and, and, and in your heart it's stirred up. Others of you respond by taking sides. Still others more positively respond with feelings of love, a sense of, man, I feel really bad for the person that's hurting or injured or suffering from injustice. But what I want to say to you this morning, right from the beginning, is that whenever we recognize need in our world, hating or taking sides or merely feeling love for that person is not enough. If you have received Christ, you see, in Christ, we're called to action Here is my main driving idea that I want to talk about briefly this morning. Talk is cheap. Let's get to work showing love with our good works. Talk is cheap. Let's get to work showing love with our good works works. Now I want to say, many of you are. You're very involved and active in your faith as an expression of God's love and response to what God has done for you. But my charge to you this morning is this. Let's let's do less talking about what we believe to be true, about what God thinks about injustice or poverty or problems. And let's do something about it. In James chapter two, there was obviously a problem in that church that James was addressing throughout his letter where people thought that if they professed a belief in God that that was enough to demonstrate that they truly were in Christ. But what James addresses throughout his letter is very practical in many ways, and we get to chapter 2 in verse 14, and prior to that, he's just basically said, don't treat different kinds of people differently, just because some have and some... some do not have. Don't treat them any differently. We get to verse 14 of chapter 2 and James says this. So I want to just quickly teach you 14, 15, 16, and 17 and then tell you a couple of things, call you to action and then pray to God that you respond. James says this, what good is it my brothers?" So my brothers anytime you see that phrase in the Bible it's a term of endearment. So it would be as if you were at my house and you were warmly welcomed into my home. We were going to have a serious conversation. I wasn't talking down to you uh, or being mean to you or overly demonstrative when I'm talking to you, but it's a term of endearment, of being friendly. Like, hey, let's, Let's talk about this because it's important, and I love you, and I care for you. This is how James is talking to his readers and how I want to talk to you. What good is it, dear friends, my brothers, those that I love, those that I care about, those that I wake up thinking about and praying about and being concerned for? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, interesting, this week I went to a gathering of about a hundred or so church planters. Ed Stetzer was there. Ed Stetzer is a voice in Christian, uh, the Christianity today, and he talks a lot about what he finds from research that he does. So he's a very rep- fairly reputable guy. And It was interesting what he said that 75% of Americans claim Christianity, and of course everybody gasped, right? Oh yeah, 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 right. And what he did from there was he broke it down to 25% are kind of cultural Christians. Others are uh, congregational Christians. So cultural Christian would be like, if you ask somebody, hey, are you a Christian? They'd say, yeah, but you, there's no evidence of that in their life, right? they don't go to church, they grew up in a church, maybe. maybe they were baptized when they were young or whatever, but there's no real sense of conviction to their faith. And then there's congregational Christians. So the people that kind of come to church casually, but it really has no bearing on their life from day to day. And then there's 25% of convictional Christians. And uh, people like many of you who profess Jesus as Lord, and it affects your behavior, it affects your life. You do feel called to action every single day in wanting to honor God with your life. And, And it occurred to me as I was reading this passage that anybody that has As a part of their words, they profess faith, but their works do not reflect the faith that they profess. They are like the 50% that are out there, maybe 25 of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but there's no real conviction about what they believe. This is what James is talking about. There is a group of people who say, yeah, I have faith in God, but it doesn't affect their works. This is a problem. He says in that second verse, Second part of verse 14, can that faith save him? Now in the Greek, the way that this question is written, it's not really a question with an unknown response. It's a question that, that expects a no, an emphatic no. So can that faith save him? Everybody say together, no. If, verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. So like if you see somebody with a need, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. Now, this is an interesting kind of phrase. You know, when we talk about mission as a church, we talk about we're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And that is rich for us. Because we believe that when God created all things, there was order, there was peace, there truly was shalom. Sin disrupted that. And since the fall, God has been working to restore order, restore peace. Do you know that throughout the world, uh, a common blessing that people give to another is some form of shalom? In Ethiopia, it's salamnu. In Uganda, I'm sure there's some sort of blessing like that. It means we long for the day when all that's broken will be restored. And what James is saying is if you merely speak those words to somebody, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Talk is cheap. You say you long for a restoration. You say you long for peace and for order and for people to encounter a risen Savior Christ, for the the hungry to be fed, for the naked to be clothed. You say this... But unless you're willing to really do something about it, then what you say means nothing. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's not profitable. It's useless. I contend that in our day, it's very common for someone to profess Christ, profess faith in Christ, but have no works to prove that they are in fact in ch- a child of God and in Christ we want to be the kinds of Christ followers that do more than talk that do more than just sit around with other people who are willing to say the same kinds of things as we are and share stories that really have very little to do with what God wants to do to restore the brokenness that's all around us We want to be the kind of people who will move outside the walls of our comfortable lives so that we can demonstrate the love of God with our good works. And that has implications locally, right? When we talk about strategy, we talk about restore local, restore global. We care about restoration locally. Many of you are involved in things in our city that are broken and you're hoping to restore them. But really what we want to focus on this morning is our work as a community of faith globally. And I want you to know, as you probably already picked up on, that our church has an ongoing partnership with Compassion International. Their mission is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Basically, they pair up children from underdeveloped countries with families from developed countries. And there becomes a great relationship there where we get to serve them And probably more so, they get to serve us by allowing us to be a part of this story, and what God is doing. I am personally connected with this work because I've traveled with compassion to Kenya and also Ecuador. I've seen firsthand, like Robbie, what they do. And I did that because I wanted to be sure that if I was going to lead our church to get involved in this way, that it was legitimate. I have... I have literally looked into the eyes of children whose lives are being transformed by $38 a month. I have shared meals with them. I have prayed with them. I have even painted some of those little girls' fingernails. I'm personally connected to this work because our family is sponsoring three children. We have... One child that we sponsored for about 15 years, his name is He's from Tanzania. When we first sponsored him, he was like one of the little ones on the table out there, very small, and every every year or so we get another picture, and now he's tall as a tree. And Jeannie and I cannot be more thrilled to have been a part of his journey for 15 years. We also sponsor Lillian in Kenya. I sponsored Lillian because I felt kind of bad about not sponsoring her. I was gonna to go to a Kenya uh, compassion trip and I thought I didn't wanna be the guy there not sponsoring any kids. And so I was like, sure, I'll sponsor her. And, and if there was any regret or any hesitation in me, it went away the first time I saw her. Shy, beautiful. And after spending a day with her, And at the end, with tears in my eyes and tears in her eyes, looking at her and thinking, $38 a month literally transforms this little girl's life. Not only does it transform her life, it transforms her family. And the combination of what compassion is doing in the community transforms communities. And then, most recently, we sponsored Angie in Ecuador. And I got to visit her, and then just a year later, Jeannie, along with some of you, went to Ecuador with our church and Jeannie got to sit knee to knee with Angie and just tell her how much we love her and how thankful we are to get to be a part of her story. I'm also connected to this work because many of you sponsor kids. Many of you are doing the hard work of remembering them each month, writing them letters. If you aren't writing them letters, I would strongly encourage you to prioritize that at least once a month. You can go online, type in a letter, they'll send it for you because those children look forward to your letters, to your contact, to your love on paper. Our church is very involved. So if you were to ask me, what is it that stirred in your heart then and now it feels so strong that would compel you to get involved 15 years ago. Jeannie and I were newly married when we sponsored our first kid. If you were to say to me, what is it? like? What is it that compelled you to be involved then in and continue sponsoring? I really think what it came out of was a desire to do more than just sit around and talk about faith. It came from a desire to live out this belief that I talk about with people that I led in ministry and then also my friends and family. I wanted to do more. And it seems so simple. As you think about what you've noticed in our city, in our nation, in our world this past week, I hope that there's a part of you that longs to bring some restoration to those broken places. Compassion is a very simple, ongoing way that you can do that. Let's do more than just talk because talk is cheap. Let's get to work showing some love with good works. What might keep us from these good works? Maybe ignorance. Maybe you did not know that you could get involved or maybe you're for some reason unaware that there's actual need in our city, in our world. You just say, I just don't know. Well, now you do. Maybe, to be quite honest, you're just too self-centered. Maybe you're the kind of person that thinks mostly about yourself. And so whenever you're challenged to think about someone other than yourself and sacrifice for them, it makes you very uncomfortable. You don't have the margin for it. That's a problem. Or maybe what keeps you from getting involved with things like compassion is you don't have the money. You mismanage your finances. Now, that is a reality. I recognize that as a reality. It's one reason that tonight we begin uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. If you want to be a part of that, we want you to be a part of that so you can get your finances in order. Because if you don't, then you'll spend your entire life missing out on opportunities to be a part Of what God wants to do in little guys like Dominic. So maybe for you, you'll be kept from this good work because you've mismanaged your finances and you need some help. If you live beyond your needs, you do need help. (laughs) Let us help you. What motivates us to keep these or to do these good works? Is it a sad story? I could give you some sad stories. When I met Lillian, what I found out about her was that her dad was murdered, her only brother was crippled, so her pa- family was poor, and when her parents found out, or her mom and older brother found out that I was going to be visiting, they waited at the church gate for hours until I got there just to say thank you. A sad story will motivate you some, but not totally, not enough maybe you think you might be motivated because there's a sense of in you that if you do this that you'll gain God's approval well our gospel is very much that we can never gain God's approval that's why Jesus Christ came his blood was shed his body was broken crucified and then raised 3 days later because our payment our goodness our good works are not enough to earn salvation maybe you think you might be motivated By the fact that it makes you look really spiritual. It does look spiritual for you to to wear a compassion shirt. Or to be able to tell people, yeah, I have a compassion child. And the motivation that is looking spiritual to your peers works some. But really it's not enough. Here's why you ought to be motivated to love with your good works. Here's why. 1 John 4:19 We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We are impoverished. We are destitute. We are left alone, neglected in our own sin. And God looks to us, not because of anything that's good in us, but because he is moved to action by his love to do something about our spiritual poverty. And he sends his only begotten son who dies on a cross and is raised from the dead. And in faith, we get new life. We love Philomone and Angie and William because he first loves us. This moves us to action. This is the gospel. So I want to challenge you to take a step to do more than talk. But let's get to work showing love with good works. You know what I would love? To be able to tell people about our church. Every family in our church sponsors a Compassion Kid. I think that'd be something that would not only be a great way to show the community the kind of church we want to be but it would also be a great way to honor the Lord. We love because he first loved us. I want to close this painting a little bit of a picture about my own experience going overseas. The first time I ever went to another country, I went to the Horn of Africa in Ethiopia. I had no idea what we were getting into, and I was very concerned when one of the Bags that I had to carry onto the plane was filled with old church choir robes. I guess a pastor there had requested some choir robes for his new church, and so for this very long trip, I had to carry this this gigantic bag filled with choir robes um, with with us. And I knew I shouldn't complain, but I certainly was complaining in my own heart, right? I'll never forget. We got off the plane, we got to the hotel, got our stuff, got on a bus, drove for several hours on a very bumpy road to this remote village with houses that you would not even consider living in. We made our way to the church, and from a distance, I hear this singing and this dancing. Now, it was me and three other white guys all of whom were deficient in the ability to dance like an African. I'll never forget as we're approaching the church, the anxiety in me is going out the roof because I know what's about to happen. They're about to invite me into dancing with them. And Jeannie will tell you, I tell her all the time, baby, I'll do a lot of things, but I won't dance. But sure enough, we get there and the music and the singing is so loud and so beautiful and it, Literally, as even as I tell the story, I can smell the, the dirt and the straw from the walls of that church. I can see the people dancing. I can hear the songs. And we get there, and whenever we opened up that bag, that duffel bag filled with those choir robes, there was so much praise and appreciation. And they began to put them on. They began dancing, and we danced and sang it had to have been an hour I mean I was sweating It was, it's Africa I mean I was sweating like a dog and I was in that moment and I thought for the first time ever and have forever been changed in that moment when I came here what I thought these people needed was money but what I knew they needed instead in that moment was not money but love And in some small way, my offering of bringing these choir robes to them was about something more than money. It was about me demonstrating very practically to them, I love you. That's what this is about. $38 a month is not what it's about. It's about showing God's love in a practical way. Will you respond? Will you take action?